Hello and welcome to Superfancast. My name is Chris, I'm joined by Matt, and this is Season 1, Episode 1, Supergrass. So we're going to get into that, but first off, uh, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, I'm absolutely up to my eyeballs in caffeine right now. Uh, getting flashbacks to um, A-level exams. Um, you a big caffeine. You're not a big coffee drinker. I'm. I'm a huge coffee drinker. All oh, right. Yeah. That's the problem, is it? Yeah, but you know, because you got you got these questions for me, I'm just like <laughs> I'm in exam mode. I'm thinking, you know, how do I get myself ready? And actually, it's it's just giving me the shakes. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Have you listened to anything over the last two weeks? Have you listened to anything other than Supergrass? Yeah, um, listening to a fair few things because otherwise I'll end up hating Supergrass and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I've been listening to Gary Newman quite wow. a bit lately. Yeah, he's he's pretty cool. Um, his new stuff sounds very Nine Inch Nails, um, very uh, very bleak and quite scary sounding. When you songs say new from, stuff, uh, do you mean like twenty twenty one? Yeah, like the last few years. Oh, yeah, wow. he's still going. I didn't even know there was new stuff from Gary Newman. Yeah, yeah, he's been busy, busy guy. Also, my my covers band I'm a part of. Uh, I've got an '80s gig coming up, so I've been listening to a lot of cheesy '80s music. Nice, um, especially Go West. Nice. <laughs> How about yourself? Lots of Supergrass, lots of My Vitriol, which is always you know, the more that people listen to this podcast, will learn that. There's there's never a week goes by that my vitriol aren't on on my Spotify, and another, a random that we listened to this week, but I don't know how I felt about it was um, we listened to. Have you seen the movie uh, Searching for Sugar Man? Ah, uh, I I remember the trailer and a lot of uh, a lot of hype around it when it came out. I haven't yeah. seen it. I saw it years and years and years ago, and then I recommended it to the wife, and she watched it a couple of weeks ago, um, and so she said. Hey, can we listen to some Rodriguez, who is the the musician from that that movie? So we listened to some Rodriguez this week, but I'm not not sure if I was a fan. But I've been listening to it, and that's that's what counts. That was the question. And then I've also listened to, because of this Supergrass research, actually, which we'll, we'll come to why I listen to them. But I listened to the Blue Tones a bit. Okay. Blue yes. Tones? Yeah. 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 I never really knew the Blue Tones. I mean, I knew the name. I think I'd seen their name on festival lineups in the early early noughties and late nineties, but hadn't really listened to the Blue Tones, but um, I'm enjoying their first album. Yeah, yeah. And that's about it. Speaking of festivals, I did see this week, I don't, I don't know when this came out, but obviously things are opening up now, right? Festivals are on. Yeah. Um, and Lindisfarne Festival is on in September. Yes, yeah, that's my, my local festival. Yeah, and you've got Dizzy Rascal coming up to see you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Coming up to see me? Yeah, Gosh. that's what he said. <laughs> I'll have to put the kettle on and <laughs> make, some, make some cakes. Do you, that's what, do you think that's what Dizzy Rascal wants? Tea and cakes? I bet, I bet he loves a bit of tea and cake. <laughs> so Groove Armada and Dizzy Rascal are headlining. And, and Alabama okay. 3 uh, are also there. And then okay. <laughs> the lineup does nosedive a bit after that. I think they've, they've put all their money into Dizzy Rascal and Groove Armada. Okay. Okay, but, but it's a pretty heavy. Like it's it's a big lineup, isn't there? There's a good few bands playing. I mean, I, on the on the poster that I saw um, for Lindis Farm Festival, there was a good like thirty, forty, um, more. I don't know, a lot. There's a lot of bands listed there, so it's a big a big event. Yeah, yeah, especially for the kind of place it is, a little um, you know peaceful, tranquil, historical island cut yeah. off from from the mainland by a causeway. Um, but it's very quiet. Yeah, I'm sure the locals love a bit of um, Dizzy Rascal playing across their <laughs> island. Yeah, I wonder how many other because September's quite late in the year. I guess stuff that's stuff that's booked for September is still okay. I guess, but the stuff that was booked for July, I don't. I'm I'm a little bit out of touch with what restrictions are supposed to be at the moment. To be fair, uh, I can't keep up with it. It's, yeah. it's, it seems to be changing every day. But I do I do see on Twitter and on the tubes that. Uh, you know, some concerts, some shows, and things that were that were pegged for you know, late June and July, they're being rescheduled now. So I guess yeah. I guess there are still restrictions for for live events. The last thing you want is to have a festival booked though for fifty acts, and then you've got to reschedule that. Yeah, that would be awkward. <laughs> have you been Have you been doing any 
live music over the last 18 months? No, I haven't been doing any because, uh, well, I've had a load of gigs planned and obviously they had to cancel. So, you know, what what can you do? That's, yeah. that's the way it's going. So just rehearsing and hoping for the best. <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a strange time for musicians because um, if you haven't got any gigs lined up or you haven't got any prospect of gigs, then you feel you might feel a little bit of uh, apprehension and a lack of motivation to practice. And you might think, oh, what's the point? It's, it's easy to get into that kind of rut, yeah. you know. So, so, you know, when all the lockdown restrictions lift, you know, there might be just a lot of apathetic musicians who actually aren't sure what to do or, you know, forgotten how to play. You know? Yeah. Well, I hope not. Do you think um, pilots feel the same way? Do you think pilots are all thinking, oh, I don't want to fly planes anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure pilots never think that. No. Okay, so Supergrass were a... Were, because they have now split officially, were a British rock band uh, in the mid-90s. Rock band... Well, I, I put rock band, but actually, I, I didn't realise until doing this research that they were they were known as Britpop. I wouldn't have known that, really. I wouldn't have called them Britpop. But I think Britpop's a bit of a broad term, isn't it? It's like would grunge. You, would you call them Britpop, though? I would. I still wouldn't call them Britpop, but um, I think online a lot of a lot of places say Britpop. But I th- kind of see Britpop as as you know how like grunge is is such a broad genre. You can have two grunge bands that sound nothing like the same genre. I think Britpop's a little bit the same. Were they just British rock bands, and that's why they were called Britpop? I don't know. I I th- I think that is that is what people usually mean when they say Britpop. Yeah. You know, something that's um, obviously British, but it's also got a bit of cheekiness to it. Um, you know, I mean, you compare them to to Blur and Oasis and Pulp. Like they're 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 not they don't sound at all the same is you know they're very rock and roll i think i wouldn't call them Britpop. yeah i also wouldn't call them Britpop. so i don't i don't know why i brought it up quite frankly <laughs> <laughs> so they had six studio albums over the course of about 15 years i think they had a breakout single their breakout single was all right um which i think is probably the song that most people who most people who don't know supergrass know the song all right it was but, all right but you know what oh, was the name good. of the song very good it was actually the fourth single from their debut album, uh, which I which I didn't realise. So Caught by the Fuzz was their first single, and they released Caught by the Fuzz twice in one year. So they released mm. it on Backbeat Records, which was a small independent label, and then they re-released it uh, through Parlophone when Parlophone took over uh, later that, that same year. Um, I think that Supergrass then became a, a, almost a household name, I think, in uh, by the time Supergrass album was released because of Pumping on Your Stereo. I think that song was pretty massive. I, I remember that song being pretty massive when I was, well, when I was that age, late teens. Yeah. I've got good memories of the uh, the video. It's a, it's a hilarious video, yeah. I, I definitely remember the video. Uh, and Moving as well, which was also on that album. That was also a big hit for them. So I think I think those two tracks transformed them um, into more of a, a pop act. Um I don't know if that's fair to say, but but certainly they were a, they were a, more of a household name when when those two tracks came out. So, what's your history with with Supergrass? Did you know much about them before reading up for this episode? No, not at all. Um, I remember um, back at school. I remember seeing them on TV and thinking, "There's their lead singer uh, looks a bit like a monkey." <laughs> and that's all I remember about them, and because um, because of his his facial hair and his and his lovely teeth, um, but he's a good looking chap, just to just to clarify, um, just in case he's listening, yeah, just in case. Sorry, Gas, and and obviously everyone loves the song, all right, because it's 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 everywhere. It's still played everywhere. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, I didn't know anything really, and then the last couple of weeks I've been listening quite a bit, and and yeah. I have a much bigger appreciation now. Very cool. Very cool bunch of lads. Yeah. For me, I, I did know Supergrass from late 90s. I, I Aisha Coco was actually one of... <laughs> so I never know what my first album I owned was, but I know it was one of three albums. I know the first three albums I ever owned was Aisha Coco by Supergrass, Crossroads by Bon Jovi, um, and Left Field Rhythm and Stealth 
which are very different albums. But I know those were the first three CDs I owned, so I, I don't know which one came first. Mm. But Aisha Coco was definitely one of them. And I really loved that, that record. And then uh, a few years later, I got In It For The Money. And actually, after listening to In It For The Money at that time, I didn't really listen to Aisha Coco as much anymore. I, I, I fell more for In It For The Money. Yeah. Uh, We'll, we'll talk a bit later about how I feel now, but but yeah, at, at that time I I definitely remember In It for the Money was was a big album for me, um, and then I remember Supergrass coming out, and then becoming a bit more popular, and because I was an angsty teen, I then didn't want to listen to them anymore. So I didn't I didn't listen to Supergrass and the the, the album Supergrass, and I kind of fell mm. out of love with them. Um, yeah, and that's. That's me. And then uh, I'd say about three months ago, so before we started started uh, researching for this, I started listening again to those those first two albums. And, and now here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, their albums have got really uh, distinct sounds, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they go through lots of different phases. Definitely, yeah. Um, but they've, they've got their clear Supergrass signature sound Ooh, all the way through. I, I might beg to differ, but we'll come to that. ask five questions to help us discover a bit more about the band we will also be asking those five questions to uh, a self-proclaimed super fan to find out if they are a fan or a fraud so today's super fan is joe from leeds who we're going to meet a little bit later you're going to get one point per correct answer five or more points you can earn yourself the label of super fan anything less than that we can decide what what you are but you're, you're certainly not a super fan oh okay no pressure so, question one. Where were Mick and Gaz working when they first met? They were working at the local harvester. Hey, that's a good start, Matt. Yeah. They were working at the harvester. From what I can gather, this was this was after the Jennifer's split and Gaz got a job at the harvester for a time because he didn't have... Well, I, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit ambiguous, but I, I think that he was working full-time for the Jennifer's, obviously, and then when they split, he didn't have a full-time gig, so he got a job mm. at the harvester, and that's where he met Mick. Yeah, it's it's a natural progression to go from a <laughs> from an underground indie band to the harvester. Yeah. So he says he says that they uh they would work like mopping floors and washing dishes and he'd put old Jennifer's tapes on. And uh, they'd, they'd bond over listening to the Jennifer's. It's it's proper rock and roll, isn't it? It's real rock and roll the harvester, yeah. It just it just goes to show, you know, you could be you could be anywhere and you know, anyone who works there could be a could be a future rock star. So Danny and Gaz already knew each other from the Jennifers by that time. They first met at school. Danny Danny's two years older than, than Gaz, and apparently he claims, well, not apparently he claims, he definitely claims, because I saw him in an interview talk about how he had to look out for Gaz because he had girly looks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then Danny's a bit of a joker, isn't he? Yeah, he is a bit of a joker. He's a bit of an oddball. We'll come, we'll come to Danny, but yeah, he's a bit of an oddball. So yeah, they already knew each other from, from the Jennifers, and then... Uh, and then, so yeah, so Gaz then introduced introduced Danny to Mick, and and the rest is history. But the Jennifers is is interesting. It's worth talking about the Jennifers a little bit. So that yeah. was that was Danny Danny Gaz and Danny's brother Nick Goffey. Mm-hmm. And and before we go into that, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've heard of Andy Davis, but Andy Davis was was the guy on bass in the Jennifers, right? Right. And uh, I, I looked him up on Discogs and I tried to figure out who he was and where he went because obviously we know where Danny Gaz and Nick went. Because Nick, oh, where Nick did they there. go? <laughs> they, they went on to form this this little band you might have heard of called Supergrass. Oh, okay. But Andy, he he has he's played se- like session for for a few different bands um, mm-hmm. or other tracks for bands. I wouldn't even not for full albums or anything. It doesn't doesn't look like maybe maybe I'm wrong. But one really interesting one was uh, on Discogs. I found out he played bass on uh, on a track by the Blue Smarties called "I Feel Like Ian Beale." <laughs> That's one of the best uh, song titles I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So they, they brought it for their album. Um, I can't remember what the album was called now. The Something Tree. But yeah, the Blue Smarties were the band. And I haven't, I haven't listened to it. But on their track, I Feel Like Ian Beale, they brought in Andy Davies to, to play bass on that. <laughs> in, in for, for, for anyone out there who's not from the UK, Ian Beale is... Uh, how, how would we describe Ian Beale? Ian Beale is a, is a character from EastEnders. 
<laughs> just just look him up. Yeah, yeah, he's it's a strange um, person to write a song about. To be honest, no, he's not very <laughs> rock and roll. It's a really odd note for a song. But I, that maybe maybe chuckle. So that's Andy Davies, and I'm really sorry if Andy listens and he has actually had, you know, some really prolific years and he's had a great musical career. And, and I'm just dredging up the worst part of it. I'm really sorry, but yeah, he's thinking. You know, I've done so much more than that. <laughs> you did it to yourself by featuring on a song called "I Feel Like Ian Beale." Yeah, he had it coming. Really got to hear it. I did. I did. I did look for that song. I couldn't find it on. Um, I mean, it wasn't on Spotify. It wasn't on YouTube. Uh, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna track down the Blue Smarties album and buy it. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, Blue Smarties. But um, yeah. So that was that was the who formed the Jennifers. Those four. Gaz was. Um, Oh, I've, ri- I've written here, Gaz was 164 when they formed. I don't think he was. I think he was 14 when they formed. <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely um, younger than 164, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but they were really young, though. I mean, you, you look at their first videos, and they really do look like kids. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and, and when you're growing up listening to these bands you don't realize just how young they are you know yeah. and then now, now we look back wow i sound really old now <laughs> it's true though like the the vast majority of, of bands that we listen to they made it big in their early 20s or or, or late teens for a lot of them yeah so. yeah so from what i can gather the jennifer's picked up a bit of attention um but then they split after two years i don't really know why they split i couldn't get a feel for why they split but it seemed like they were getting some attention so i'm not sure why they split do you know anything about that? Uh, I don't actually. Maybe, um, maybe they just really wanted to start working at, at the you know local restaurants. Yeah. Um, but I did listen. You sent me some videos of the Jennifers, and I did listen to them. But I was, I was expecting it to be a bit punkier, just because, just because of the early Supergrass stuff and hearing, hearing the guys talk about, you know, what they were trying to do with with the early Supergrass stuff. I thought, oh, okay, well, the Jennifers is going to be a punk band. And also, it's a punky name. Do you not think the Jennifers sounds like a punk band? It does. It really does. But it's not punk. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit kind of psychedelic indie, would you say? Definitely, yeah. I think my main criticism was uh, Gaz's voice, or whoever's voice. You can't even, I can't even guarantee it's Gaz's voice and a lot of it. Um, they've got, you can't hear it properly, and they've got a lot of effects on it, and... He doesn't seem to be able to sing, which is is weird because we know he can sing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The the guitars sounded good at times, but yeah, generally, not my thing. Hmm. Yeah, they had a good following though, apparently. Yeah. And um, if you look on their their videos on YouTube, there's a lot of uh, positive comments and people who've been desperate to find their music and you know so excited. You know, yeah. I think there there's a bit of a cult following. Good on them. Good on them. So question two, what was the name of the band Danny started at the age of 10? Uh, Danny, oh, it was a weird one. Um, something like the Jubbly Puffle Squiggly Puffs. Oh, it's, all, it's almost worth half a point there because... Jubbly Snuffle Webs. Yeah, that that's what's getting you half a point, Jubbly Snufflewebs, because it wasn't the Jubbly Snufflewebs. Oh no, no, no. Ah, now that was when he was that's when he was younger, wasn't it? Was it the fallopian tubes? <laughs> yeah, it was the fallopian tubes. You're not getting the point though, because I gave you oh. a point. But yeah, it was the fallopian tubes. Yeah. Jubbly Snufflewebs wasn't really a band from what I can gather. I think so he didn't have a drum kit at that point, so he used to just beat uh, a lunchbox with a chopstick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was that that just what just what they called themselves when they were like five years old, just making a load of noise? Yeah, and they but, couldn't talk properly. But there are recordings of, and I don't know if this is the Jubbly Snufflewubs or the Fallopian Tubes, but there are recordings of of Danny's childhood bands, and it's 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 kind of interesting because they do sound like they sound super grassy, like they've got that same kind of vibe to them. <laughs> but it's it's so strange. That's mad. Yeah. So yeah, the Fallopian <laughs> Tubes if... was his first band. I wonder if the Jubbly Snufflewubs will ever have a reunion gig. <laughs> I think that Jubbly Snufflewubs was just him and his brother. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Um, um, but um, I, I, I read somewhere the Fallopian Tubes, they had a song called My Wife Shut My Gonads in the Door. <laughs> and, um, and Danny said that it, it was a song about sexual frustration, which makes sense, you know. Yeah, it does. I think for a ten year old he was ten. 
for a yeah. 10-year-old to form a band called the Fallopian Tubes. Yeah. That's the thing that tells you a lot about him, doesn't it? It tells you a lot. About he's he's an odd, he's an interesting character. Yes, he's, he is. He's a really interesting character. I get I get real um, Keith Moon vibes from him. Yeah. Yeah, he's seeing videos of him. He's just he's just all over the place. Like he's he's just high on energy and just yeah. coming out to everybody and just doing crazy silly silly things. Yeah, he's definitely. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely true. He is all over the place and he is high on energy, but. One of the things um, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but uh, but the progression of, of Supergrass, one of the really obvious things that changes really clearly in, in it, every album that came out, from my perspective, I mean maybe no one else sees it this way, is is Danny's drumming. Hmm. In Aisha mm-hmm. Coco, he's an absolute monster. Yeah, he's he's like Animal from uh, from um, from the Muppets. He is, mm-hmm. isn't he? Like there's not yeah. a, there's not a video of him at that time where he's not like drenched in sweat and just yeah. hammering the drums mm-hmm. and the speed of his drumming and the way he, he changes up the tempo constantly is just insane yeah. he's such an amazing drummer mm-hmm. and then every album following that by the time they got to diamond hoo-ha he's just he's like a just playing little jazzy beats like it's just lost it a little bit do you not think yeah um i mean he's definitely lost that kind of punky energy um, but he's always got a good groove on him, you know. He, he, he's he's always a great drummer. Um, I, I prefer I prefer his drumming in the early albums, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I think he's he's one of the things that really makes that first album definitely. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Have you listened to his his solo? Well, his, yeah, his I have. Coffee? Yes, I have actually. Yeah, I was um, I was checking out his videos a couple of days ago, um, and. It surprised me how how fun his music is. I mean, obviously it would it would be fun because he's yeah. fun, but you know they're, they're really nicely crafted songs, and mm. he's he's really charismatic. He's always charismatic, and he's got this kind of um, I think he's like a cross between Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney. You know the way he's the way he's shuffling about, and he's 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 got this this swagger about him. Um, yeah, I really like his solo stuff. I haven't really seen impressed. any videos, but but listening, I listened to uh, one of the Van Gogh albums, and it, it's very different, isn't it? It's so yeah. incredibly different to stuff he's done in the past. Oh um, yeah, yeah. yeah I'd, I'd need to give it more of a listen. I don't, I don't doubt that it's good, but it's not, it's not a sound that I was um, drawn into. Um, but yeah, he seems, he seems to be fairly prolific. Like he, he, he throws out music. He's They've had a they've had a, a few dip, a few releases, haven't they, Van Goffey? Um, yeah, and he's been over the years. He's been in other bands as well. Did you do you know anything about Lodger? Did you read about Lodger? Um, I just know. Oh, that was the band he was getting involved with during during Enough for the Money. The second the se- yeah during their sec- the Supergrass second album recording. Yeah, yeah, um, so. yeah I, and I that was with that's that's part of. I wonder, looking back now, I wonder if that's part of the fact that his sound was slightly different on In It For The Money because he was focused elsewhere. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. That was with his girlfriend as well, wasn't it, in Lodger? Yeah, so his girlfriend was... Um, oh, I have to remember. Pearl Lowe? Mm-hmm. Who I didn't know who she was. Um, she was apparently from another band that I hadn't heard of called Powder. Have I got that Powder. right? Yeah, yeah, uh, but I hadn't heard of Powder and I haven't heard of Pearl Lowe, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, apparently um, she kind of introduced him to a world of uh, the world of Kate Moss and Russell <laughs> Brands and, and stuff like that. And yeah. So Danny Goffey was a bit of a bit of a nit boy for a while. Yeah. Um, but there there are four piece Lodger that were recording at the same time that that Supergrass were recording in it for the money. So in it for the money was recorded down in. Was that recorded down sawmills in Devon or Cornwall? In Cornwall, yeah. In Cornwall. So then they were, Danny was travelling between London and, and Cornwall during the recording of In It For The Money to to be with both bands. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it would be impossible for that to not have had an effect on, oh, on yeah. the sound of In It For The Money. For sure, for sure. One last thing on uh, on Danny Goffey. Maybe I, maybe this should have been a bonus question. Do you know who his dad was? Or yeah, is? His dad <laughs> was and still is Chris Goffey, who used to present Top Gear. Yes, 
You used to present yeah. Top Gear, which then made me Google, when did Top Gear begin? Do you know what year Top Gear, Top Gear started? Oh, I, was, I don't know. Was it crazy early? That's 1977. Wow. That's insane. Star Wars year. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. sort of cars were they were they talking about then? Millennium Falcons. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, so he was he was one of the early presenters, or maybe one of the first presenters, I think, of, of Top Gear. Um and by the looks of things, I'm not a Top Gear fan, I'm not into the cars, but by the looks of things, Top Gear has been going non stop since then. But in two thousand or two thousand and one, uh I don't know if it changed channels or something, but there's certainly people view Top Gear as the Top Gear between 77 and 2000 and then the Top Gear from 2000 till now. Uh, and and that one from 2000 till now is the one that had Clarkson and, and that on it. Yeah, um, yeah. And Chris Goffey was in the, in those uh, those early earlier years. And he was the BBC motoring journalist. Mm. So he wasn't just on Top Gear. Apparently he did other stuff with regards to... Yeah, so bit of a famous dad. Not to me, nice. not to you, but not to me. To no. someone. <laughs> I'm sure there are people there are like, "Ooh, wow, Chris Goffey." Yeah, I'm sure there's people out there that talk about Chris Goffey and then go, "Oh, do you know who Chris's son is?" Yeah. I'm gonna go on to question three. So during October and November 2000, what band was Supergrass to support Act Four in the North American leg of their tour? I'm gonna say Foo Fighters. It's a good answer. They did support the Foo Fighters on two tours, I believe, but uh, not in 2000. In 2000, they were supporting Pearl Jam. No way. Pearl yes Jam. way. Yeah. That's so, uh, I don't know. Maybe you understand better, but I don't, who, who picks the support act? Do, do the band pick the support act? I think the label supports them. Right. Because the label wants to promote the support band. Because Pearl um, Jam are big. And... The North American leg of their tour is arguably the most important leg of their tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Supergrass supported them the whole way. But that's that's interesting because I wouldn't have put the two together at yeah. all. No, I wouldn't have put the two together. But interesting that you raised uh, that you mentioned Foo Fighters because they seem to have quite a close relationship. But but from what I can gather, um, yeah, yeah. Well, in in that documentary you recommended. Um, home movie, movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's some really nice clips of uh, of the Foo's jamming with Supergrass, yeah. and yeah. it's it's like they're good mates. It's really lovely. Yeah, yeah. And so so they they supported Foo Fighters quite early on. So in '97, which I think is the year that In It for the Money came out, so they were still. I mean, certainly in the US, they must have been unheard of. Yeah. You know, um, so they supported the Foo's in '97, and then again in 2008, which is really strange because in 2008 i think that was was that diamond who heart era which is not uh not a complimentary of the Foo fighters i don't think it's a very different sound um so they the only thing i can think is that they they had supergrass support them because they really like supergrass i think it seems that way yeah i would say um on the subject of pearl jam um if you listen to uh, do, do you do you know much pearl jam mm, i know 10 uh that's really, yeah, yeah. That's really my my Pearl Jam. Uh, because their um, their music in the two thousands uh, is really different to their grunge, early nineties stuff. Is it? And some of it I could say sounds very uh, supergrass. It's very rock and roll. It's very raw. Mm. So I thinking about it, it does it does kind of make sense. It's very impressive for supergrass though, and it does make you wonder because they didn't seem to. As far as I can tell, they didn't seem to make it big in in the US. Um, no, they didn't. No, but to have been no. been backed by some great bands, uh, that's surprising. Yeah. Um, did you? <laughs> this might be in a, a later question, but did you hear about um, Spielberg? What he no. wanted to do? No. Um, so, apparently, um, when it was when they just had their first album, Spielberg wanted to develop a, a monkeys style sitcom you know the monkeys the oh, band. i did i did sort of vaguely hear something about this yeah yeah um so uh, yeah a sitcom about supergrass and um apparently gaz said that he didn't want the band to rely on that for their fame mm. he wanted it to be about the music and all that stuff i don't know how true that is um 
But I'd believe it, but Spielberg. I know. That's the bit I, that it's hard to believe, isn't that's it? That's the weird thing. <laughs> yeah. Is he already going to put some like aliens in it or yeah. you know, some dinosaurs? It doesn't seem like it's in Spielberg's uh, repertoire doing a doing a supergrass. <laughs> I know. I know. That's strange. Yeah, that's very odd. Um, there's a there's a there's a fun little fact for you there. It's a good fact. I like that. I'm going to take that away. I'm going to put it in my fact hat, and I'm going to use that at some point in the future. Um, the, the the moment probably won't arise since this is the only time we're going to spend <laughs> a couple of hours talking about supergrass. But if if there's ever a future opportunity to talk about supergrass, I'll drop that in. Yeah. Um, back in 1995, supergrass booked a few dates with the Blue Tones as an opening act. So that's how I got into the listening to the Blue Tones these last couple of weeks. Um, uh-huh. I found a poster, which is a bit of fun, I found a poster for a gig in Glasgow at King Tut's Wawa Hut hmm. um, for uh, yeah, sometime, in, sometime in 1995. Tickets were £5 to see Supergrass and the Blue Tones. And the poster said, first band on stage at 9pm, show finishes 11.15 approximately. <laughs> <laughs> this, wasn't, this wasn't 1950, this was 1995. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> mental. <laughs> um, they would have been promoting the debut album at that point. This is Blue Tones, and the, which yeah. was Expecting to Fly. And that album, so I've been listening to that Expecting to Fly album. Um, it's really good. I, I'd recommend it. Um, cool. and I I'll think that would have been a good start to a Supergrass gig as well. They've mm. not got, they're not punchy like, they're not as punchy as Supergrass, but it's, you know, you can see where, you know, that they would, they would definitely be a good combination. Yeah, I'll check them out. So question four. Supergrass's first ever live TV appearance was on <sighs> Channel 4's The Word. Did you see that coming? Oh, God. Um, what song I did. did they play? What song did they play? Yeah. It would have to be a guess. Um... Have you not seen? Have you seen the performance? Mm, I I might have, and uh, oh gosh, was it um, was it Man Size Rooster? Yeah, it was Man Size Rooster. Oh, that was a guess. Well done. I think it's a good. I mean, for your first live TV performance, when you've only got Aisha Coco out, I think Man Size Rooster was a really good pick. Actually, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I I recall seeing a clip of them playing that song and Gaz looking absolutely terrified. I think because that was the first TV appearance. Yeah. He, and he's looking around like some someone's about to murder him. <laughs> yeah, he does he does definitely have a weird vibe about him in that show. Um, <laughs> he's he's playing up to the camera a bit, isn't he? Like he's he's yeah. reacting almost to the camera. He's, yeah. I think he's a bit awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. I but, think if you if you're nervous and you're going to be awkward then you might as well play along with it. Yeah. And, and the crowd were great. I mean, actually, yeah. for a first live TV show, a TV performance, the crowd on The Word, I mean, we'll talk a bit about The Word, but the crowd on The Word seems like it was always a great crowd. They, they yeah. always loved the bands. And yeah. Just, yeah, just really good shows. Um, but yeah, let's talk about The Word a little bit. I don't know if you looked at The Word. Did you Did you have a look at it at all? Um, not really. Is that... Is that I, sent uh, you a nice, I sent you a really nice video, didn't I? Yeah, the video involving someone drinking vomit or something. <laughs> someone drinking his own sick. Yeah, the word was a, just the strangest show I'd never heard of. Never heard of it before until I, I found this performance by Supergrass. But it seems like it was a um, it was an after nine show in the in the nineties. That um, I don't know what the format of the show was, but they certainly had good bands playing, and they also had a segment called the Hopefuls which the tagline for the hopefuls was, I'll do anything to get famous. Oh, uh, no, I'll do anything to get on TV, I think it was. <laughs> um, so wow. People just did really vulgar things, uh, including the one that I sent you, uh, a dentistry student drinking his own sick. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Some I mean, other um, really, uh, there's some other really good stuff about the, the word, though, some live performances. Yeah. So Rage Against the Machine played um, uh, Killing in the Name of, and the crowd went so wild. They started unplugging the equipment and attacking no. the band. Yeah, you can see that one on, on YouTube. Wow. It's a really... I'll check that out. Yeah, they, they get pretty much to the end of the song. But um, yeah, by the end of it, you can see them playing their instruments, but you're not hearing anything anymore because <laughs> this guy's all over the stage and it's just yeah. chaos. And then uh, who would have thought that would be a future Christmas number one? I know, right? <laughs> I know. Yeah, they certainly didn't think that. No. Um, and then there's a really, there's another really iconic 
or iconic if you if you see the word as as iconic in any way but um performance by l7 i don't know if you know l7 they were like a an all-girl grunge band <laughs> no and, and this the singer guitarist danita sparks during the performance she gets naked like properly naked oh, wow. um and so her guitar is covering her her lady parts okay until the end of the performance when she shows shows the tv screen um so there's there's full frontal nudity um right. on channel four in the 90s of Danita Sparks in L7. I was I was gonna say, is this Channel Four? <laughs> yeah, it's Channel Four. Yeah, I so, love Channel Four. So generally, there's just some really good, there's some really good content of of the word on on YouTube. Check out the word. Really odd show. So there you go. You got a guy drinking sick. You've got um, got a band going full naked. Yeah. Got people unplugging the equipment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like a riot. Mark Lamar presented it for a while. I've seen Mark Lamar presenting it. Um I saw Danny Bear presenting it. Oh brilliant. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, people must have been watching it. It was interesting interesting show. Yeah. Uh, but back to Supergrass. Other interesting uh Supergrass appearances on TV. You sent me a really good one. <laughs> you sent me one that got me laughing out loud in the office. I had to oh, turn it off. The Ali G one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he says, I know you play for Supertramp, but you don't have to dress like a homeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he's he's talking to um to Gaz and uh and he says uh what does he does he say uh, like uh, is this what you wanna wanna do when, you after you leave school? school? <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then Gaz starts playing uh playing some supergrass. And uh, an LEG starts remixing it and putting on some beats, and yeah. and then the, and then these these scantily dressed women come out and start dancing around, and it's it's absolutely bizarre. It's so good. It's so hilarious. Yeah, really, really, really good quality TV. That is. Um, <laughs> that's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts. So Gaz starts playing against the backing track. I guess he starts playing uh, "Sun Hits the Sky." And um, and Ali G's got his little mixing desk there. Yeah. And he says, "I'm just gonna add, I'm just gonna add a tiny bit of bass." <laughs> and it just starts this. <laughs> just yeah, just it's just like an earthquake. That is, I'm just gonna add the tiniest bit of drums. <laughs> yeah, yeah but really um, but Gaz is a good sport though, isn't he? He just he's keeps going. He doesn't get cross. He's just like, you know, <laughs> what the hell. Yeah, he's a good sport, guys. He is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but I get. But I guess you know, like a lot of, well, like we were talking about, you know, a lot of bands that we listened to started out young. He was, uh, Aisha Coco was. He was still a teen, surely. I, I don't know, but I'm guessing he was still a teen when that came out. Yeah, well, um, I I read that uh, actually his his mum had to sign the contract, the recording contract for him for Supergrass or for the Jennifers. I think for the Jennifers no, for the for Supergrass. Oh right. Yeah. yeah, so 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 the other guys were 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 ripping, were ripping the pieces for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I imagine when you're when you're put in the in the spotlight from such a young age. Yeah. Um, when you're touring and recording at such a young age, then you take it more with a pinch of salt, don't you? When people like, you know, if you got famous a bit later in life, and then Ali G starts trying to play a drum and bass beat over your music, then yeah, it's yeah, a bit different. Absolutely. All right, question five. Made it to question five. Wow, That's I can't not, believe it. This is going bad, right. This is going better than I, th- I thought it would be. Actually, I thought it would be an absolute. Um... <laughs> I think absolute... these questions are pretty tough, but I think you've done your research. Well, uh, you've just got a two, little bit. Two out of four so far. <laughs> two out. Of four. You've 50%. done half your research. <laughs> okay, so question five is: Where was the final show, the farewell tour in two thousand and ten, played? Oh God! Um, honestly, it would be another guess. Um, farewell. Was it? Shall I give you, can I give you? I'll give you a clue. Yeah. You've got was it, it in? Was it in London? It was not in London. I'm going to give you a clue because you've got it wrong now. Um, so they they did a a bunch of UK dates, and then they did a final date in another country. Ah. Okay. Uh, ooh, was it in France? It was in France, yeah. It was? Yeah. Okay. Pick a um, city. In a city. 
Was it Paris? It was Paris. Yeah, you don't you don't get the point though, but you but you get a pat on the back. Oh, I get a pat on the back. That's good. La Cigale in Paris, eleventh of June, twenty ten. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know why they did that. I'm not sure why they did that unless they have a particularly big following in Paris. Well, they 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 seem to like France, don't they? They they recorded in there. Um, oh, did they? Their oh, what was it? Life on other planets. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, no, that wasn't recorded in France. It was um, Road to Road to, Road to Ruin. Ruin. That was oh, that really? was in France, yeah. Um, and and I think um, for Life on Other Planets, the preparation for it, they spent some time in France. Yeah, they rented a big chateau and just mucked around and you know watched TV and jammed and wrote some music. Oh, so. Right. Yeah, but for your for final date of your farewell tour, I think. Really. Yeah. They should have done Mate. that in Oxford, shouldn't they? You would have thought so. You would have thought so. They'd done it at the Jericho in Oxford, don't A bit more fitting, but anyway. So yeah, they did that in Paris after a bunch of UK dates and then off to Paris for the final final gig. And I think the split is a bit sad, really, because they seem... Seeing them talk about it, each of them individually, they just all seem like, well, we just weren't that good anymore. <laughs> we didn't have good, oh. good stuff anymore. Um, it's yeah, a bit it sad. Because yeah. they're they're all they're all good. I mean, they're all doing their own things, and they're all good at what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's... I, I think they were planning on recording a final another album. I, I'm, I don't have my facts on this, so feel free to go go away and do your own research. Don't don't tweet me. But I think they they were in the process of recording another album and. Yeah, I'm going to get the facts wrong here, but but I think I saw Gaz say that they'd presented that album to the label, and the label had basically said, eh, "Go away, do it again. We're not releasing that." And so at that point, they'd gone. Do you know what? It's this is the best we can do now. Screw it. So let's yeah. just let's just call it a day. And so they fairly quickly um, booked up a farewell tour. It's not something that was in the pipeline for many years. It was like, okay, do you know what? We're done. Let's yeah. let's book up a farewell tour and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, but at least they didn't split up, you know, on bad terms. No, I think they've. I think they have reformed a couple of times, haven't they, for reunion gigs and things? I think they've. I think they've got reunion gigs next year. Oh really? Yeah, they've got. They've got um, well, I just I looked on their website briefly. There's there are some in the pipeline. I wouldn't mind seeing Supergrass. They do look like a fantastic live band. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Gaz has got he's got a great voice live. He's got his voice is as good live as it is on in the studio. He's, yeah, he's, it is. Yeah, um, and and to see Danny drum live would just be an experience. Um, and uh, probably should probably should find something nice to say about Mick. I feel a bit bad. Like, <laughs> Mick's Mick's an excellent bass player. Is he? Yeah, he's really. I mean, you just just sit and listen to his bass lines. Just focus on them, and and they're a lot more complex than you you might expect. Yeah. I think um, you've got the ear for the bass, though. I think if you don't have the ear for it, um, I, I need to I need to make an effort to listen out for the for the bass line. I think sometimes, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I should do because I I do forget about Mick. Do you know what he's doing now? He is. He's been in loads of bands since then. He was he formed a band called the DB Band. Okay. Um, they've which they've were. Got... They've not made it to the top ten, have they? No, no. They released a couple of EPs with a, you know, with a few songs on each, and um, quite strange artwork with elephants and things. Um, he was in a band called the Beat Seeking Missiles, um, which is actually a really cool a name for a band. That's a great name for a band. Yeah. Um, he was also in um, Swerve Driver. Oh, okay. I know Swerve Driver. Uh, yeah. Um, he was base. childhood friends with them. And then um, he's become their their main bass player All right. in 2017. Yeah, so All he's right. been busy. Well, if he's listening, I just want to say I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, Mick, for not not talking about you more in the last last half an hour. Yeah, but that's 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 the curse of a lot of bass players, I think. Yeah, because they're very because they can be very quiet, very subdued, chilled chilled guys who just get get the job done. Yeah, you know. I mean, compared to compared to Gaz and Danny, you know, he's a lot more mellow, isn't he? Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. D- D- Danny's a real force of nature, and and Gaz is a front man, so yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's easy to be left behind. I haven't listened to Gaz's solo stuff either. I know he's got he's got some solo albums, and I just haven't got around to listening to them. But I would be really keen to listen to that. 
We mustn't forget also the fourth member. Uh, oh yes, the other Coombs. Rob Coombs. <laughs> so yeah, many, so many gobbles um, and Coombs. I know. Um, There's so many siblings. It's uh, it's like a it's like a soap opera. Um, so Rob was keyboard player. He played organ. He's got some really nice sounds. He plays on. I think he plays on all the albums, but he's not credited as official band member until. Um, well, super by super by the third album, I think they they credited him, didn't they? I think so. He yeah, became the fourth member. But do, do you know why that was? Do, was that his choice, or was that was it just a marketing thing that they wanted to be a three piece? I don't know, really. I mean, a three piece it can be really marketable. Yeah. Um. You know, keys, keyboards, and organs can seem a little bit obscure and a bit old fashioned mm. to to some people, um, which is a shame. You know, because he's he's a great he's a great sound, and he's he's crucial to their late albums. Definitely, he's definitely, an, yeah, he's definitely an important part of their sound. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, apologies to him as well. I'm just not making many friends here, am I? I'm making friends with Danny and Gaz, and I'm forgetting everyone else. But again, he's he's another mellow guy. You know, he doesn't seem to want to take the spotlight. So yeah, he's quite involved in that uh, that home movie. Yeah, uh, he appears yeah. a lot in that. Um, but yeah, you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't seem to. Uh, he doesn't seem to be sore about the fact that he's not um, one of the recognisable members. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for him, you know. And and he also played flute um, at the start, apparently. And is he that? Is he in any other bands? Uh, that I do not know. I have to look that up. If anybody knows, let us know. All right. And that brings us to the end. So five questions. Score? Give me a few minutes to to top that up. Um, <laughs> a few minutes. Like, it's a few <laughs> minutes to top. Yeah, yeah. Five. <laughs> it takes me a while to count. Uh, one, two. So you've got two out of five, which I think puts you at, um, you're sort of vaguely interested. Vaguely interested. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a super fan, um, but that was better than I thought I'd do. So after doing uh, a good few weeks of research, um, for Supergrass, has your opinion of Supergrass changed now? Uh, now that you've you've heard all their stuff, and, and what what's your opinion? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, they they didn't seem that the sort of band I would choose to listen to. I mean, I've got a really open mind with music. Um, I I guess the word Britpop put me off. Um, I mean, I appreciate Britpop bands, but I thought I I, I kind of I, I don't really fancy listening to that sort of thing um and then straight away listening to the first album i was blown away i thought this is really really fun you know these songs are really catchy they're really well written um they're all great musicians and they seem like lovely blokes as well on all the footage i've seen they just seem very down to earth and just really fun to be around so my opinions changed a lot i didn't really have an opinion before um so but now i would choose to listen to them just, just if I wanted to relax or just go mad, jumping around. So I had only heard the first two albums, really. And, and the Supergrass album, I had heard tracks from it in our younger years, but I hadn't listened to the album at all. Uh, so now I've listened to all the albums. And I, I do feel, I think I mentioned this previously, I do feel that there's a real, it's a really horrible word to use, unfortunately. So sorry to the guys if they're listening. It's a real decline in in their sound. I think mm. that Aisha Coco is a, a real masterpiece. I, I do yeah. I do think it's a masterpiece. I think it's yeah. there's not a single track on that album that I would skip for their age. I think it's mind blowing that they came up yeah. with music like that at that age. Yeah. I saw a, an interview with Gaz where he said our main focus at that time was to play as loud and as fast as we could, <laughs> and I think that kind of summarizes what how, what you get from from Aisha Coco. I mentioned before as well the tempo changes in a lot of the tracks on that album, which is something they'd lost in the later. They don't even they don't do that at all in their later tracks. No. Um, but there's you know a good fifty percent of the songs in Aisha Coco at some point real re- really change it up midway through the track, which is really progressive I think for for a bunch of a bunch of teenagers. Definitely, definitely. Um, it's just yeah, it's really clever. I mean Lenny for example, Lenny on that album, such a clever song. Like the the whole composition of that song. It's just, yeah, just really clever. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's really inspired. 
Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I should Coco. I still feel is is a mind blowing album. And then in it for the money, I don't love as much now as I did when I was a teenager. I tried during the research for this show to listen to it more. Um, it just didn't do it for me. I think that there's there's not they're not having fun as much. Aisha Coco, they had real fun. You can tell. Yeah. They're laughing yeah. and they're the whole thing with the strange ones and the silly voices in some of the tracks. And they're just having a great time. They're not having yeah. a great time fitting it for the money. And and then yeah. the, the, the follow-on albums beyond that, I just like less and less. And by the time it gets to the Diamond Hoo-Ha, I mean, I can, I'm can, i really sorry, Supergrass, but I can barely listen to that album. It's just it's just not listenable for me. For me, you know, for other people, it is. Yeah, it's interesting, um, but I totally agree. Um, Aisha Coco is so much fun. And... When I think of Supergrass, I think of that album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So there we are. So now I'm not. I'm not a super fan. I, I would say I am a super fan of that first album, but generally, you know, I'm an albums guy. I'm not. I don't have one or two bands that I'm totally obsessed with. I have a handful of albums that I'm totally obsessed with, and I would say Aisha Coco has definitely made it into my, uh, yeah, into that domain. Um, yeah. I think it's creeping into my domain as well for favorite albums. And outros as well, just very quickly on outros. Um, listening back to In It For The Money, mm. and, and I, haven't, I haven't quantified this. I, I should probably go through every track and just label it so I, I can actually back up what I'm saying. But I feel, like, uh, I, I feel like In It For The Money has got too many fades. Uh, yeah. And if you listen to I Should Coco, sure, there are some fades, but there's also some amazing outros, some amazing endings to songs. Yeah, I, I I did think that. I was a bit disappointed with fades. I mean, fades are. <laughs> I think they're they're a really lazy way to end a song. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you put that on stage when you're Absolutely. playing? Do you yeah. just just get the sound guy to turn all the faders down? Or just walk <laughs> walk off the stage really slowly. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just completely aimless. You know, you need to put an outro on songs. It is odd. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, it is odd. There's good fades and bad fades, but I, I did feel that specifically that album in it for the money. A lot of the tracks they didn't need to have a fade. Uh, I, Supergrass know how to write an ending. They know how to end songs. So don't yeah. be lazy. Yeah, no, don't be lazy. No, no. Okay. Now in future seasons. We're going to rely on our uh, our listeners to get in touch with us. Tell us who you're a super fan of. We'll do an episode about you. You can get in touch with the show on um, superfancast.outlook.com. But if you want to um, be featured on the show, you need to go to patreon.com slash superfancast and you can contact us there. Um, and that's how we'll, uh, we'll map out future seasons. For season one, obviously, we don't have the listener base yet. So we're kind of reverse engineering it a little bit. So we already came up with a list of uh, or a handful of bands that we're going to use for some of the episodes in, in season one. And one of those bands was Supergrass. So we did all our research for Supergrass. And at the same time of doing that, uh, we went on the lookout for Superfan. Now, I looked high and low under, under every rock I could find. And either there wasn't a Superfan out there or they didn't want to show themselves. <laughs> So um, I, I took to Twitter um, using uh, our Twitter, the Superfancast Twitter account, and um, you know we, we found a, a fan club there, the Strange Ones fan club. Contacted them, uh, didn't get a reply from the Strange Ones. You know, posted plenty of times on Twitter, got retweeted a couple of times, but no one contacted us. So I took to Reddit, found a, a Supergrass fan club in, in Reddit, and uh, posted up there, and in a Britpop group, um, and in a, uh, you know, a few other groups. A couple of people contacted me. I got contacted by uh, Joe from Leeds on Reddit. And Joe from Leeds said, I'm a big Supergrass fan, um, but I wouldn't call myself a super fan. His main point for that was he said, I, I love the music. I don't know much about the band, but I love their music. I've seen them multiple times. I've followed them through their whole career. I would say they're my favorite band, but uh, I haven't sort of delved into them as people. And so, uh, so I said, Joe, listen, we need a fan. <laughs> You're the one that's come to us, so uh, we need you. I'm joined by Joe from Leeds, um, and Joe is an out and proud Supergrass fan. I think, like, <laughs> I'm definitely proud. I think I've uh, 
I'm not there if I'm always out about it. <laughs> I think I'll uh, slowly admit it to people when they're discussing Britpop. I'll be like, yeah, do you know which band I always kind of liked? Do you know what band I always thought was best? And then maybe I'll bring Supergrass in. So just very quickly before um, we get into to testing your knowledge, do you have uh, any obscure Supergrass knowledge that, that you can you can throw out there to, to give us a benchmark as to where you are? Oh, God. I've got a story. I don't know if it's... In... So... The... Story is just that uh, I guess I think part of the reason why I'm a fan of Supergrass is that they're a band that me and my younger brother both really like and seem to really like equally, and so I've always bonded over. And uh, it was it was the first gig he ever went to was uh, I managed to take him to a Supergrass concert, and he was almost certainly too young to be going <laughs> to a gig back then, and I wasn't responsible enough to actually take care of him at the gig because I just wanted to be you know dancing a supergrass so I managed to convince my parents to take him and then just took him to the front of the gig on you know when there was the kind of fence up at the side and I said stand here <laughs> you'll be fine and then I just went into the kind of middle of the dance area for the whole gig and then picked him up at the end I you know I checked on him how old, how old are we talking how old was he oh <sighs> Well, old enough to get into a Supergrass concert anyway. Yeah, I'd say 10, 11, 12. Oh, wow. Okay, I wasn't going that low. Yeah, I think he had a good time. Yeah, I don't know how my parents felt for it, but I was like, they're, they're our favourite band, Mum. I'll take care of them. I'll be with them every moment. Don't you worry about it. And I was like, all right, stand here. You'll be fine. Off I go. Wow. And how does he feel about Supergrass now? I mean, it was his, I think it was his first gig, and he got to see Supergrass and they were his favorite band so yeah he, he loved it wow that is that is a top story but now we're going to get into the real meat of it we've got five questions for you if you get all five right you're welcome to the um to the label of super fan um less than five points we tend to judge it on a case-by-case basis as to whether you're just a casual fan or a complete fraud so question one where did mick and gaz work when they first met Ah, oh, nuts. <laughs> uh, oh, I know this. It's got to be somewhere in Oxford. I don't really know Oxford. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I don't think this is the correct answer, but I'm going to guess the Jericho Tavern in Oxford. Oh, it's, it's a good guess, but it's not. But th- th- there's definitely a Supergrass history at the Jericho Tavern. They both worked at the Harvester. Oh, wow. Mick was washing dishes and, and, and Gaz was mainly sweeping floors. But yeah, they worked at the Harvester and they bonded over listening to old Jennifer's CDs and, and Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, that's where they first met. That's pretty cool. Question two. So it's, it's not going well. It's zero <laughs> points so far. So question two. What was the name of the band Danny started at the age of 10? <laughs> So I don't know. So I'm just to make up a band name and hope that it's the same name as the band he started. That's a really bad strategy for this band name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Danny and the Pirates, I believe, was the name of the band. That's a, that's a great name. But no, his, his band at the age of 10 was the Fallopian Tubes. Really? Okay. Um, not fantastic, Joe. Uh, but... <laughs> Question three might be the one that, that you win it all back. During October and November 2000, what grunge band was Supergrass to support Act 4 for the entire North American leg of their tour? 2000. Grunge band that Supergrass supported. Oh, I feel like I could get this one. I mean, I don't think I will, but I think I've... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm just trying to think of a grunge band that's still that's touring in 2000. So obviously not Nirvana. I think Soundgarden had split up by then. I'm gonna go Pearl Jam. Oh, that's your first point, Joe. That that's pretty impressive for Supergrass, isn't it? Supporting Pearl Jam. Yeah, I don't feel like Supergrass ever really broke America. Uh, so they've they've had some exposure, but yeah, they 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 didn't they didn't break America, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Pearl Jam, well done. Whew. Precious. Question four. Supergrass's first ever live TV appearance 
was on Channel 4's The Word. But what song did they play? Again, this is going to have to be a deduction, really. Okay. <laughs> I think it's not... I think you've designed some hard questions, so I don't think it's going to be uh, an obvious answer. So then I'm trying to think of... I still feel like it's something off that first album. It's not, it's not going to be all right, because... They'll have had something earlier than that. Uh, do you know what? I'm, I am going to go as Caught by the Fuzz. It's a fantastic answer, but it's not right. Oh. Um, yeah, you're in the right ballpark. It's a man-sized rooster. Ah, oh, God. But Caught by the Fuzz would have been just as good. All right, question five. Now, here's the one. Knowing that you were on the farewell tour, you might you might have a chance with this. Where was the final show of the farewell tour in 2010 played. Yeah, it was in Paris. Oh, straight there. Yeah, because we went to the, we mean my brother, who I mentioned in my boring anecdote earlier. <laughs> so he's a huge Supergrass fan, uh, but he lives in New Zealand. And I don't think, apart from that gig, he'd never got to see them live again. And he was coming over to the UK, uh, always thinking of coming over to hang out with me in London at some point. And then that Supergrass tour, like tour is announced and then he just sent me an email with the like yeah i'm coming we're just gonna see their like final gig and we saw that like final gig at uh the brixton academy in london and it was amazing and we were like oh my god that's their last gig ever and then we're like oh well there's one in paris but you know <laughs> we've seen their last gig in the uk <laughs> well yeah you're right you're right last gal in paris 11th of june 2010 brilliant well done Oh my God, I can't believe I got some right. So out of five questions, you totaled two. So if the Supergrass boys were here today, what, what would you have to say for yourself? You know, I think they're a really brilliant band. I think they've got really diverse and interesting albums and there's some incredible songs on them. They're a band that mean a lot to me. Like I said, they're probably me and my brother's favorite band together. But I don't really know anything about them. <laughs> two, two out of five quizzes shown. Okay, thanks, Joe. That's great. Do you think um, Do you think Supergrass fans are actually like a secret society? That's why you couldn't find any. Maybe, maybe. I don't know you, what it is. You needed to know the secret handshake to find them. Or they just, or they just don't want to talk to me. Maybe I just came across oh. a bit of a creep. I didn't tell you this, but actually I, I don't have a Reddit account. So I had to create a Reddit account in order to contact the Supergrass fan, super fans. And uh, it auto-generated a name for me. Okay. Was it a nice name? <laughs> it's Waste Management 72. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's very suspicious. <laughs> it's really odd. And then I tried to change it to Superfancast, but yeah, I, I couldn't. So I, so I was contacting people under the name Waste Management 72. So maybe that was something to do with it. That's, that is so strange. You're like some kind of... Uh... It sounds like something from a from a spy movie. It's really you know, weird. You know, the, the clean-up guys who clean up all the bodies. Yeah, really weird. But anyway, we got there. We got somebody. On that note, though, please tell your friends, tell your cousins, tell your nan about us. Get them listening. Um, and even better, get people to get in touch with us. You can get in touch uh, on Twitter at Superfancast1. Super annoying that it's Superfancast1. If you are the person that holds the name Superfancast on Twitter... Please give it up. I don't know how to get you to give it up. From what I can tell, I mean, you have no followers. You're not following anyone. It doesn't look like you've posted anything for a decade. Just give it up. You know, do the honourable thing. Um, <laughs> They're gonna, you're going to get a ransom note in the post, Chris. <laughs> give us the money and I'll give you the really domain name. It's infuriating. And what do they mean by Superfancast? It just seems like that's an individual person and they've called themselves Superfancast. But we're not, we're not fans of that person. No, we're not fans of that person. So yeah, Superfancast1, numerical one, Superfancast1 on Twitter. Contact us on Patreon, patreon.com slash superfancast. We've got three Patreon levels, uh, and at uh, the third level you'll be able to feature on the show, but also just support us, or we will one day buy better microphones, and at that point we're going to need some money to do that, so call us on Patreon. You can contact us on superfancast.outlook.com, 
send us audio feedback, we'll play it in the show. Send us all the feedback that you've got. Hopefully we'll have more feedback than we could ever possibly read out. That's the plan. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we look forward to you joining us again in a couple of weeks for the next deep dive, which is going to be... Faith No More. It is indeed. And we've already got, uh, we've got our super fan locked in, and he is indeed a super fan. Oh, yes. So that should be fun. Stay safe. Keep rocking, everyone. See you next time. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. Bye. -bye. Toodaloo. Bye.